please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 6 and read along with me. O Yahweh, do not reprove me in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Yahweh, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Yahweh, for my bones are dismayed, and my soul is greatly dismayed. But you, O Yahweh, how long? Return, O Yahweh, rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness. For there is no remembrance of you in death. In Sheol, who will give you thanks? I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I flood my couch with my tears. My eye has wasted away with grief. It has become old because of all my adversaries. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. For Yahweh has heard the sound of my weeping. Yahweh has heard my supplication. Yahweh receives my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this psalm, this psalm of David, and consider what was going on in his heart and his mind and in his life, and um, just listen to his words and the expression of his soul, help us to understand these words, to glean from them the wisdom, the implications, the applications for our own lives. And please uh, guide us and guide me as I preach your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we read this psalm and as many of David's psalms um, see the highs and lows, um, see his his confidence, uh, his frustration, his despair. And certainly um, here we see uh, his, almost his desperation as he cries out to God. And what, what's interesting is um, when you read through the Psalms, and especially the Psalms of David, you see a lot of the same themes over and over again. But you also see the same words, same phrases repeated um, and in looking at this psalm, see a lot of uh, similar phrases throughout the Psalter, throughout David's uh, psalms. And I'm not sure if uh, many of them are direct quotations or, or if it's just um, a sense of him uh, continuing to use the same words, the same phrases to express his soul and, and his heart and what's going on in his life and just in prayer as oftentimes you know we say in our own prayers we tend to say the same phrases over and over again and as we've been going through the psalms um, I've mentioned several times that there's not really an order in which they're they're uh, organized um, they, there is um, some of them are they're written at different times over a long span of, of time and we know um, for instance, for the Psalms of David, they're written all during his lifespan. And, and some of the other uh, Psalms we know, uh, you know from the author, the, the superscription, we can tell what time they're written in, 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 the, in history, in the history of Israel. But some of them are anonymous. We don't know what time. Um, and uh, so when we see the same phrases over and over again, or what seems like a, a direct quotation, we're not really sure um, oftentimes if it is a quotation from an earlier psalm or if it's just uh, phrases they use over and over again. And, and I just want to read through, um, there's quite a few psalms which uh, they're either quoting from this psalm or they're using the same phrases, uh, so many of them the psalms of David. We read in Psalm 25, 16, um, David says, turn to me and be gracious to me for I am alone and afflicted. Uh, Psalm 30 in verse 9, what profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Similar to what he says here in uh, verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 6. In Psalm 31 in verses 9 to 10, he says this, Be gracious to me, O Yahweh, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief, my soul and my body also. 
For my life is worn down with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. In Psalm 32, um, which uh, is so much alike Psalm 6, it it almost seems uh, like a commentary or or a testimony of what was going on in Psalm 6, also a Psalm of David. In verse 3 of Psalm 32, he says, When I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Something he also says in verse 2 of Psalm 6. Psalm 38, we see these uh, phrases in verse 1. O Yahweh, reprove me not in your wrath and discipline me not in your burning anger. And then in verse 3, there is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. Psalm 41 also, verse 4, As for me, I said, O Yahweh, be gracious to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. Psalm 69, a a psalm uh, about just a a cry for deliverance down in in the the depths of uh, distress. Verse 3 of Psalm 69, it says, I am weary with my calling out. My throat is parched. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Psalm 86, 16. We also see this phrase over again. That's in uh, Psalm 6. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Oh, grant your strength to your slave and save the son of your maidservant. In Psalm 88, we read these words. Verses 9 to 12. My eye has wasted away because of affliction. I have called upon you every day, O Yahweh. I have spread out my hands to you. Will you do wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirits rise and praise you? Will your loving kindness be recounted in the grave? Your forgetfulness in Abaddon? Will your wonders be known in the darkness? And your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? That's a similar theme in Psalm 6. We see these themes, and it's almost as if um, whatever emotion or distress or circumstance uh, you may be going through, or one may be going through, or even an Israelite may be going through, they could go to the Psalter and see similarities all throughout the Psalms of... uh, pouring out their soul to God in distress or seeking Him in times of trial and affliction. And uh, that's why the, the Psalms are the number one place to go to. I, I think, you know, I have uh, a couple of people have asked me in the past and in my Christian life um, what my favorite book is in the whole Bible. And it's kind of hard to say it's, it's like being asked, um, you know, a, a parent being asked, who's your favorite kid? You know, but nonetheless, I, I, I think the Psalms are my favorite because in the Psalms, you can, you can see so much of God and, and you can find help for your soul, whatever circumstance you're in. You can also see theology um, throughout all of the Psalter. Um, if you know your Bible, you can see parts of... Uh, it reminds you that there's places in the Psalter that remind you of other parts of the Bible. But here in Psalm 6, we just see this lament as David um, pours out his soul to God, asks for deliverance, which is a theme all throughout Scripture, uh, a physical deliverance, but also a spiritual deliverance um, from his enemies, but also as well from his own sin. And we see here, there's a sense where um, this is a prayer of confession or repentance. Um, Some have, uh, many have uh, categorized this as a lament psalm. And that's um, another thing we see is, is, uh, you know, we read through the the psalms and um, if you have a study Bible or um, many study Bibles will show this, that they'll categorize psalms. And it is something that is um, not explicitly stated in the Bible, but nonetheless, we see 
uh, psalms in different categories, psalms of lament, psalms of thanksgiving, messianic psalms, royal psalms, uh, psalms of confidence, uh, different categories that uh, theologians have categorized uh, psalms or put them in certain categories. And, and this is um, a psalm of lament, David's lament, uh, primarily over his own um, sin, uh, but uh, also the effects of his sin that he is um, undergoing uh, God's discipline because of his sin. Charles Ryrie writes this, he says, in this individual lament psalm, David expresses his distress that God uses his adversaries to chasten him. He petitions God for deliverance, laments his sufferings, and warns his enemies to depart, confident that the Lord will answer his prayer. This is the first of the penitential psalms, um, also Psalm 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, 143. In these, the distress afflicting the psalmist is his sin, and so the lament is a confession of sin. And so that's what we see here. And so in this psalm, as we look at it, as almost every psalm is in a sense a prayer, a whole prayer, we will see four aspects of David's confession in his prayer because he begins off, O Yahweh, do not reprove me in your anger nor discipline me in your wrath. Hinting at his own sinfulness, that he's in the place that he's in because of his sin. And so we'll look at this at four aspects of David's confession. First, we'll see David's prayer for relief. David's prayer for relief in verses 1 to 3, as he says, O Yahweh, do not reprove me in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Yahweh, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Yahweh, for my bones are dismayed and my soul is greatly dismayed. But you, O Yahweh, how long? We see David's prayer for relief here. First, from harsh discipline in verse 1. Um, that he's asking for relief from Harsh discipline, but, but more than harsh discipline, that, that God would not discipline him as his enemy. He wouldn't judge him as his enemy. One commentator, one commentator writes that David does not ask for immunity from judgment, but for the tempering of God's discipline with mercy. David, he, he understands that, that a his predicament is a result of his own sin, that he, in a sense, uh, deserves what he, he's experiencing. But nonetheless, he asks that Yahweh would not reprove him in his anger nor discipline him in his wrath. He, he's, in a sense, asking God to discipline me as your child, not as your enemy. Remember your mercy. Remember that I am your son. Isn't it? in a sense, uh, the, um, the advice that Solomon gives in Proverbs 3, uh, in 3 verse 11. This is a, also a, a passage or a couple of verses that is quoted several times uh, in the, uh, throughout, the, throughout the scriptures and even in the New Testament. Proverbs 3, 11 to 12. My son, do not reject the discipline of Yahweh or loathe his reproof. For whom Yahweh loves, he reproves even as a father reproves a son in whom he delights. David, in a sense, as he cries out to God in, in that verse 1, and he asks him not to reprove him in his anger nor discipline him in his wrath, he's in a sense uh, saying, I understand that I deserve discipline. I understand that I deserve, um, in a sense, punishment. But don't punish me as your enemies as one of your enemies, but as one of your sons. Remember that I am your son. Remember, uh, and, and I will bear that discipline because I know you, uh, a father reproves a son in whom he delights. Second, we see his prayer for relief from the physical effects of sin. From the physical effects of sin as he it says in, in verse 2, Be gracious to me, O Yahweh, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Yahweh, for my bones 
are dismayed. This, this sense of wasting of way, of, of being drained of my vitality and my energy, of experiencing, uh, in a sense, physical pain due to a spiritual problem. He, he says the same thing in, in Psalm 32, which you can turn to Psalm 32, and, and in a sense, you could keep your finger in Psalm 32 and flip back and forth, and you see 32 is, is almost... It's almost like a divine commentary or a testimony of what happened in Psalm 6. In Psalm 32, in verse 3, he says, When I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the heat of summer. In Psalm 32, and then even here in Psalm 6 and other Psalms, um, David is getting at um, what happens uh, physically when there's unrepentant sin in your life. That, that uh, unrepentant sin, or, or um, it has an effect on you physically. And, and we know this in, in a sense of, of the feeling of guilt and shame over our sin or even foolish decisions that sometimes um, that can go to the point of depression, discouragement, and it has an effect on you physically. Uh, I mean, doctors, many doctors will speak of um, just the effects of anxiety on somebody's heart. Uh, so many, <laughs> this happens a lot with middle-aged men. They go in and, you know, they feel something, uh, tension or something in their heart. And they feel like there's something, they're worried about something, palpitations or Something might be wrong with their heart. They get all checked out. They have an EKG. All sorts of doctors run all sorts of tests. And they say, well, the good news is there's nothing physically wrong with your heart. But what's happening is there's anxiety. There's frustration. There's fear. Whatever. There's something um, mental, emotional, and spiritual that's affecting the physical health of the person. This is what's happening to David, that this is what um, unrepentant uh, sin does. Or, or even when you know, as in this case, that David knows that he is being disciplined. He knows he's undergoing discipline from Yahweh. Uh, and um, this psalm would hint at, at him being either chased by either the situations by Saul or by Absalom. It, it's one of those... Um, Situations in his life where he's, he's being hunted down as he speaks of his adversaries. We don't know which particular situation it is, but he knows that it is, in a sense, um, partly due to his own sin. So he asks that God would um, be merciful to him, that he would treat him um, as a son, that he, he prays for relief from harsh discipline. He prays for relief from the physical effects of sin, but he, third, prays for relief from the spiritual effects of sin. Verse 3, And my soul is greatly dismayed, but you, O Yahweh, how long? How long? He, he speaks, uh, he asks for relief from the spiritual effects of sin, of, of guilt, shame, and turmoil. Every believer should, you know, be, uh, should understand this to a certain extent, that those times in our lives that, um, especially when you're a new believer and God is exposing certain sins to you, and there are those times when um, you, you blow it um, in, a, you know, various ways, so to speak, um, either old habits or whatever, Sometimes it's a relational issue, and you're just burdened with guilt and shame. And uh, you do what you should do. You go to the Lord, but nonetheless, you, you just feel burdened. And, and it, it's turmoil in the heart. This is what uh, David is feeling. Spurgeon writes in his uh, commentary, The Treasury of David, he says this, Soul trouble is the very soul of trouble. Soul trouble is the very soul of trouble. It, it, that, that's where, in a sense, all trouble starts. It reminds me of what many preachers have said. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. 
Everything starts in the heart and the soul, and it works itself out um, into the body and into our relationships and our interactions that, um, you know, and we feel that. We feel that when we sin, or you should. Um, guilt can sometimes, and our conscience is sometimes a barometer. Um, now, there is a sense that we can have false guilt, um, but more often than not, our guilt is real, and it should be um, noted. We, uh, if our conscience is pricked, we should search ourselves to see whether or not um, uh, we, are, uh, we are guilty of something. One commentator, um, he writes this. He writes that David begins his petition for God's mercy by fully and sincerely admitting his guilt. He asks for the Lord to be merciful and not rebuke and chasten him in the Lord's anger or wrath. David made this admission with a heartfelt conviction that he was confessing his sin not to a distant wrathful God, but rather to the God who looks on him as a father looks on his son. This is the implication of the terms rebuke and chasten, which in the Bible are primarily the responsibility of the father to administer to his children. David's spiritual condition caused physical consequences so that his bones were dismayed. His soul or his mental condition is greatly dismayed because of his distress. Asking how long is an expression of anguish, asking for relief. It shows the psalmist's intimate relationship with the Lord and the confidence the righteous can have in inquiring of the Lord for mercy, help, and understanding. The sense of, as he cries out, how long, there's also a sense that he feels the burden of a loss of fellowship and a distance from God, a separation from God. It is something that Isaiah would, um, or God speaking through Isaiah, would say to his own people in Isaiah 59, he says, Behold, the hand of Yahweh is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear, but... Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. There's a sense that God always hears us. There's nothing that he does not know. But there's also a sense that um, if we're living in sin, that he's not really answering our prayers. There is a sense of this distance in our fellowship. And it should prick our conscience. It should um, cause some sort of guilt or turmoil within our heart. And it should have an effect on our uh, spirit. And uh, if we are in sin long enough, it will um, affect us physically. And this is what's happening to David. And so because of that, he prays for relief. Second, we see David's plea for rescue, verses 4 and 5. Return, O Yahweh, rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness, for there is no remembrance of you in death. In Sheol, who will give you thanks? He has a, a plea for rescue. He prays for relief, and then he pleads for rescue. For rescue from, first, uh, this sense of abandonment. Um. And not that God has completely abandoned him, but there's because of his sin, there's this separation, there's this loss of intimate fellowship. And so he, he calls upon God and he says, return, return to me, uh, rescue my soul. There, there's this distance between you and me, and, and it, I, I fully admit it's because of my sin. My sin has made a separation between me and you, my God. And, and so, in a sense, as he's speaking through uh, verses 1 to 3 and, and 4, and that he's, in a sense, repenting. He's confessing his sin. And he's asking that God would, uh, would uh, forgive him and receive him back into fellowship. And he argues for this um, on the basis of God's covenant love and his faithfulness. He says, return to me, O Yahweh, rescue my soul, save me because of your loving kindness. Not because I, I, I 
confessed and, and not because I repented, though that's, um, that's good and that's right and it, that, that's a, a requirement. And, and definitely not because I will make up for it, but save me because of your loving kindness, because of your goodness, because of your faithfulness, because of your covenant love, because of your mercy, because of your character. Save me. Renew, restore this fellowship that we once had. He pleads for rescue from abandonment and then from death and destruction. Verse 5, For there is no remembrance of you in death. In Sheol, who will give you thanks? And so he, he calls for rescue. First, uh, uh, he, he asks for rescue. He pleads for rescue on the basis of God's covenant love and faithfulness. And, and second, also on the basis of God's praise and glory. And he says, there's no remembrance of you in death. If I die, who will give you thanks? Who will praise you? One commentator writes that, David offers two reasons why God should deliver him. First, his loving kindness or his loyal love. And then second, because of David's inability to praise God in Sheol or in uh, the afterlife, in death. Um, Sheol, um, in the Hebrew mindset, is primarily the grave, death. It it could um, indicate hell. Um, but it's essentially death. It's, it's the grave. We see a similarity in um, Isaiah 38 as we see King Hezekiah. He testifies of a similar situation after he recovers. Um, his sickness, that um, he prays to God for relief, for recovery. And then uh, he, um, in a sense, testifies of God. Um, Uh, healing him. He says this in Isaiah 38 and 17. He says, Behold, for my own well-being I had great bitterness, but it is you who has held back my soul from the pit of nothingness. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot keep watch for your truth. It is the living, the living who give thanks to you as I do today. He thanks God for his deliverance, um, but also um, you know, argues on the basis of, of the fact that he will praise him. There's a sense that you know, I've prayed this, this prayer before of ask God um, just for help for the sake of his own glory. And God does everything for his own glory. And so there is a sense that, you know, you can pray to God and and almost use that same argument, you know, in terms of the church, (laughs) you know. Lord, we need need more helpers. We need more servants. We need more musicians. Or we need more X, Y, Z, or whatever it is, so that you will be glorified. Or, or, you know, heal me so that I could serve you. Or, or, or whatever the case may be, you, and you use that, that argument of God's praise and glory. And certainly there are several ways in which God receives glory. Um, but nonetheless, that's a, that's a good argument. That's a good prayer to pray. Same as praying um, are asking for deliverance or rescue based on his covenant love and faithfulness. And we see that in David's plea for rescue. Third, in this psalm, we see David's profession of remorse. We've seen his prayer for relief, his plea for rescue, and now his profession of remorse, verses 6 and 7. I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim, I I flood my couch with my tears, my eye has wasted away with grief, it has become old because of my adversaries. He professes the remorse and the despair that he has been in, and and he professes it, um, his profession of remorse is demonstrated by two things. First is is demonstrated by his sleepless nights of, of weeping. 
says, I'm weary with my sighing. Someone says, he's, he's sick and tired of being sick and tired. He, he's, he's tired of being tired. He, he's, he's just wasted. He's, he's wiped out. And he says, in a sense, uh, every night I make my bed swim. I flood my couch with my tears. And there's a sense of, you know, we think of couch in our, you know, living room and stuff. And, and for, in the, it was more along the lines of a bed. Um, but nonetheless, he, in a sense, says he's wept enough to swim in his tears. Dr. Will Varner, in his commentary, he writes this. Which is interesting how he phrases this. He says, His bed should have been a place of rest, but it had become a place of trial as God chastened him. He couldn't, he couldn't sleep. He couldn't sleep because of his guilt, because of his shame, because of his affliction, which he knew was a, a result of his own sin. And so all night long he, he weeps because of his affliction but, but maybe in, in confessing his sin as well over and over again, another experience which every believer should be um, familiar with, especially those um, horrendous sins or uh, that you know, we go to God when we're, um, we're convicted of it and we just confess it over and over again. And sometimes um, it doesn't seem as if the, the guilt or the shame lifts, but nonetheless, we continue to confess and we continue to seek God's forgiveness and his favor. And oftentimes, uh, you know, it is those times in the middle of the night when there's no other, um, nothing else to influence us or... Um, Nothing to uh, distract us. We're, we're left alone with our own thoughts and our own feelings. And our guilty conscience condemns us in a sense. Or it should if we're in sin. Um, and so David weeps. He weeps enough to, as he said, using, yes, it is hyperbole, but, you know, saying, I've drenched my bed. I've flooded my couch. He's worn out. This, he professes his remorse by his sleepless nights of weeping. But also, um, he professes his remorse by his feeble physique. He says, my eye has wasted away with grief. It has become old because of all my adversaries. He is almost saying... I've, I've cried so much that my eyes can't take it anymore. It's like my eyes are physically worn out from weeping, from, from crying. They, they can't handle any more crying. It's, it's almost like my tear ducts are dried up. I, I, I'm done. It, but more than that, his, it's almost as if his trials and his affliction are rapidly aging him. He feels old. He feels uh, broken down, worn out. His vitality is being drained from him. Many of you have probably seen this movie, and it, it's, it's more of a comedy. But um, in The Princess Bride, there's that, that the, the hero is strapped up to the machine that, that sucks the life out of him. And, and this is, in a sense, it. it that's the picture I get that, that David is, the life is sucked out of him. And then he's just drained. And it's all due because of, of his sin. And so he seeks for uh, forgiveness, for restoration, for renewal, for redemption, which is the fourth aspect of his confession. You've seen David's prayer for relief, his plea for rescue, his profession of remorse, and now we see David's proclamation of redemption, verses 8 to 10. 
Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. For Yahweh has heard the sound of my weeping. Yahweh has heard my supplication. Yahweh receives my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. It's interesting because this this psalm immediately towards the end, these last few verses, it it, it changes, the, the tone changes almost completely. He's, in the first seven verses, he's, he's just talking about himself and his guilt and, and all the affliction and the trials and everything that he's going through. And he's praying to God, um, confessing his sins, seeking forgiveness, seeking restoration, seeking renewal, a, a, a renewed fellowship and an intimacy with God. And, and then in verse 8, we see a, a proclamation, a bold proclamation of redemption. Uh, uh, there's a sense of confidence here. As he, in a sense, uh, instead of focusing on himself and speaking to God, he now turns his, uh, his uh, focus to his enemies, to those who have, in a sense, been the um, tool or the rod of God's uh, uh, discipline. And so we see his proclamation of redemption first to his enemies as he's in a sense, leave me alone. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. A a, a phrase that's quoted over and again um, in the New Testament, quoted by Jesus himself. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. For Yahweh has heard the sound of my weeping. God hears the pain and distress you've caused me. And it's interesting, God even, you know, he speaks about this uh, concerning the um, Assyrians uh, as, as they come to judge his people in, in Isaiah, that he is, in a sense, using them as a tool of judgment against his people. But then he goes ahead and he says that he will judge them for afflicting his people. And, and you know, as a surface reading, you, you think, how can that be? He's using these wicked people to discipline his own people who are in sin, and then he's going to judge them for afflicting his people. But nonetheless, that's how God works, and that's how he's, in a sense, working here. And David knows that. He sees that as he's cried out to God, and he's confessed, and he's repented enough that he knows that God hears him, And God will deliver him. God will forgive him because of his steadfast love. But he will also judge the enemies and the people he's used to discipline David. And so there's a sense of confidence that David proclaims this redemption that's coming. And he proclaims it first to his redeemers. And then he proclaims it because of... To his enemies. And then he he proclaims it because of his redeemer. He proclaims this redemption because of his Redeemer who hears his requests for deliverance. Verse 9, Yahweh has heard my supplication. Yahweh receives my prayer. He knows, and this is, in a sense, it's still waiting to occur. It's still, in a sense, this retribution on David's enemies. It's still in the future. But David speaks as if it's it's a done deal. It's going to happen. He knows that God will deliver him. He knows that God answers his prayer, that God is forgiving, that God is gracious, that God um, is faithful to his promises, to his covenant. He's faithful in his love. Part of his love is his discipline. But nonetheless, he, he will not forsake his people nor leave them. And so David proclaims his redemption to his enemy and proclaims his redemption because of his redeemer. And then third, uh, he, he, we see his proclamation of redemption for their shame and God's glory. For their shame and God's glory. Verse 10, all my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. In a sense saying, I will be delivered, but you will be dismayed. 
I will be redeemed and you will return from whence you came in shame. I'm being afflicted because I, I've sinned and, and you're the tool of God's affliction and his discipline. But note this, that, that God hears me. He's forgiving. He will forgive me. He loves me. And you will, in a sense, be judged. You will be ashamed. It's interesting. It's um, I read through several commentaries, and, and one such one, uh, the, Dr. William Barrick, this old Old Testament scholar, I um, go to over and over again. And in, in his commentary on the Psalms, he writes um, this one commentary as a primer for prayer, and, and he prays through the Psalms. And in praying through this Psalm, he he says this. He says, "Lord, please be merciful." As you correct me, and remember kindness as you discipline. Vindicate my faith, Lord. Let all those who want to see me fall from grace be ashamed and depart. Let them know you have heard my prayers. And there's a sense that it's, it's not so much that David uh, desires deliverance and forgiveness and restoration. He, he, he does desire that, and that's a primary motivator for praying this prayer, for writing this psalm. But there's also a sense that he desires his enemies to be judged and to be ashamed. And he trusts that God will bring both uh, to fruition. Uh, both will come about. He'll answer both prayers. So it reminds me of a, a passage in Micah. Micah 7. And, and when I... You can turn there. When I first heard this, um, it was uh, John Piper has a, uh, he created uh, years ago, um, a list of what he called fighter verses for his church. And these, these are passages that he had um, put together, compiled together to fight temptation and sin. Uh, some to uh, encourage his people and I was really, um, as a new believer, I was really uh, just amazed at this one passage, which he lists, Micah 7 and 8 to 10, as one of those passages um, in fighting sin. He says, Do not be glad over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I inhabit the darkness, Yahweh is a light for me. I will bear the rage of Yahweh because I have sinned against him. Until he pleads my case and does justice for me. He will bring me out to the light and I will see his righteousness. Then my enemy will see and, my, and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is Yahweh your God? My eyes will look on her. At that time she will be trampled down like mire of the streets. There's a sense that, you know, as Micah writes, it's getting to what David is expressing here, that he acknowledges his own sin and the predicament that he is, he's in as a result of his own sin. And, and he deserves the affliction because of his sin. He deserves punishment. He acknowledges that. And he, he confesses his sin. But he also confesses God's steadfast love and the fact that, that um, the enemies won't be able to mock him. And continue to mock him and slander him um, because of his sin. God will deal with his sin. And he will, in a sense, uh, David will, in a sense, bear the punishment for his sin. Or the discipline for his sin. But his enemies won't have the opportunity to mock him. And to continue to mock him. And in a sense, his enemies will be confronted with the fact that... They have sinned just as much, if not more. And it's a great promise to, to hold to. That, that God will, even though he disciplines you for his sin, it's for your sin, it's, it's done, it's part of his love towards his children. But he will also uh, not allow you to be mocked and slandered by the enemies. There's a passage that um, 
speaks about discipline in the New Testament um, and just helps believers to understand uh, part of the Christian life um, as we strive towards holiness, that there is, uh, there is from time to time discipline for the believer. Um, that, you know, uh, the Christian life is hard and uh, sometimes it involves discipline. And, and sometimes that discipline isn't necessarily a result of sin. Many times it is. But sometimes it's the, it's the, um, it's the result of um, our weaknesses, that we need to get stronger. But nonetheless, we are to deal with it um, almost in the same way, to accept it. Uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, this is, in a sense, a part of the application of this letter as the author to the Hebrews writes to um, confront them in their um, lack of faith, in their wavering in their faith, uh, to encourage them in, in, uh, in their faith, to uh, call them to, uh, to look to Jesus, to um, remember who he is, and, and even to instruct them. And, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, he says this, he says, right on the tail end, after going through the, the roll call of faith and all the heroes of faith in chapter 11, he says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, laying aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so you will not grow weary, fainting in heart. Then he says this, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood in your striving against sin. He compares our striving against sin to Christ's sacrifice that Christ has gone through so much to redeem you in any uh, discipline or struggle you receive uh, or you um, experience um, because of sin or fighting against sin or or because you're living in sin um, is less than what Christ went through and he goes on he says and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he flogs every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons." So there's a sense that, you know, we should um, be warned um, concerning discipline, that if we continue in sin, that, that God will discipline us as a loving father who disciplines his children. But there's also a sense of comfort, that if we do experience discipline because of our sin, and, and we know it is discipline or if there's a sense where we understand that the discipline isn't um, so much punishment but training that God is in a sense uh, pruning us for more fruitfulness that there's comfort in that though it's hard we understand that God it's an aspect of his love for us and we should in a sense thank him Many preachers have said this before, um, uh, either just as a personal testimony or just as um, teaching on this principle of discipline. But there is a sense that um, you should be scared of running into sin or living in sin because uh, 
God promises to discipline his children. And there is a sense that even if you are tempted by certain things, that you understand that if I go that way, that God will discipline me. There will be discipline, so I can't go down that road. And if you are experiencing discipline, um, which is sometimes it's hard to discern, um, know that that's God's love for you. And you can pray as David prays here in Psalm 6, that he uh, pours out his heart to God and then asks for restoration of fellowship. But in the end, he can confidently say that God receives his prayer. He hears my supplication. He knows what I'm going through. And he loves me as a father loves his child. And he will uh, discipline me, but he will also deliver me and he will keep me. Heavenly Father, you know our frame, you know our weaknesses, you know those sins we, we are often tempted with. And you know um, each and every one of us and whether or not we are living in sin and you discipline us accordingly. But you also discipline us for greater usefulness. Lord, help us not to regard lightly your discipline. Remind us of your discipline. That we would uh, fear sin. That we would fear you more. And that we would uh, live in a manner worthy of our calling. That we would honor you in our thoughts and our words and our deeds and that we would uh, be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.